hello, Crossroads. Uh, my name is Lance, and I am the Creative Arts Director here. It is my pleasure to be speaking with all of you today, uh, both our Hayward and Fremont campuses. Uh, it's great to have the opportunity to speak with you again so soon after the last time I spoke. I'm used to speaking like once a year, so this is a special treat uh, for you and for me. No, just really for me. Uh, <laughs> but to get to talk with you about a couple of my favorite Beatles songs, uh, I'm just super excited to have this opportunity. Uh, the classic song from the Beatles that we just heard was released in April of 1964, and just after two weeks of being released, it had shot up to number one on the Billboard Top 100. Uh, it's been featured in several motion pictures, it's been covered dozens of times, and performed live thousands of times by countless different artists over the last 54 years. Uh, now, we wanted to start with this song today because of the overall message that it conveys. No matter how much money one has, no matter what one may buy or give away, it's not going to get what one would want and need most, which is love. That's a pretty powerful sentiment for a pop song, wouldn't you think? Uh, but maybe that has something to do with why it's so popular. And that is exactly what we're going to spend our time examining today. Let's talk about love, shall we? Now, if you'd like to follow along with me and take notes, there's an outline for today's message in your program. I encourage you to pull that out. Uh, it's the reddish pinkish sheet. I'm told it's called Salmon. Uh, and uh, that is uh, in there. And uh, most of the scripture and quotes from the message are in there. Uh, if you'd like to follow along, they'll also be on the screen. So I want to start by asking this question. What is love? Okay. What is love? Baby, don't hurt me. How would we define it? Well, the dictionary defines it as this, a profoundly tender, passionate affection for another person, or a feeling of warm personal attachment or deep affection as for a parent, child, or friend. And those are certainly good, clear definitions, but I believe that they are incomplete. See, I would argue that love is not a noun. Now, we're gonna do a little English lesson in church here today. How many of you know your parts of speech? Any teachers in the uh, congregation? Okay, what is a noun? Just shout it out. Right, person, place, or thing. Very good. Now, and I would say that love is not only that. It is not just a thing. I would say that love is also a verb. And what is a verb? An action word, very good. You guys are ready for Jeopardy tonight, okay? Uh, I wish the Jeopardy clues were that easy. Uh, love is action. That is your first fill-in. Love is action. It is not some generalized thing that we think or feel or talk about. You can't buy it, or uh, it is, or at least it should be, something that we do. Love is action. It is a choice that we make every day. A few years ago, a wonderful book came out that quickly climbed to the top of the New York Times bestseller list. Uh, it's called Love Does, written by Bob Goff. Uh, and some of our church staff had the pleasure of meeting Bob uh, a couple years back at a conference and listening to him speak. And can I just tell you, Bob is incredible. This guy exudes love. 
In his book, Bob gives examples of how he came to this conclusion that love is action and how he saw love demonstrated and the transformative power it had in his life as well as the lives of those around him. And now I've actually just started reading through it. You can tell my bookmark's not very far in there, uh, but I highly recommend it. Uh, I, this book is essentially a case study uh, that proves the point that love is action Hence the title, Love Does. And I love this line from the book. It says this, I learned that fully loving and fully living are not only synonymous, but also the kind of life that Jesus invited us to be a part of. We are not fully alive until we are living a life full of love for the world that God created and everyone in it. Now, I can hear your collective thoughts. What? Hold on a minute. That is craziness. Love the world and everyone in it? Like, do you have any idea how hard that is? Have you met my family? Do you know what I have been through? Have you seen my life? I mean, maybe I could love the people around me a little bit better, but, 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 but complete strangers? I mean, I can't even make it from here to the freeway without wanting to kill at least four people on a good day. And why the heck would I do the insanely hard work of trying to love other people? And surely you don't mean that I should try to love everyone. I mean, that's impossible. And even if it were possible, like, what would that even look like? How would I do that? Like, what... This, this is absolutely ridiculous. It's absurd. Struck a nerve, did we? Are you done with your rant? Can I respond now? Okay. Now, I actually think you asked some good questions. Yes, that was you talking. Uh, and I'm going to do my best to answer them. I think I deciphered three central themes in your uh, so eloquent little rant there. And the first one was this. Why should I love? Why indeed? I mean, let's be honest, a lot of times people do not deserve love. They do terrible things to each other and to the world. Caring about people is hard work. It is so much easier to just do our own thing, not have to worry about other people or their problems. So why should we show love to others? Well, firstly, because God loves us. That's another one of your fill-ins. See, God sees all the same things we see and more. He sees the darkness. He sees the struggle. He sees the violence and the pain and the hate and the destruction that we cause day after day. And yet still, he loves us. And as if that were not enough, Jesus flat out told us to love others. And not just once, but like hecka times. How many is hecka? Uh, it's more than several and not quite a boatload. Uh, one of those times is in the book of Matthew. And a Pharisee, which was a religious leader of the time, uh, asked Jesus, of all of God's commandments, which one is the most important? Now, this guy was trying to like trick Jesus. He was trying to trip him up into saying something that would be incriminating against him. Uh, but uh, Jesus is God, so yeah, that didn't happen. Uh, but here's what did happen. Jesus gives this totally unexpected answer, and it ended up tripping up the Pharisee. Check out what happens. It's on the screen and in your outline. Teacher, this is the Pharisee speaking, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. 
This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and all the prophets hang on these two commandments. Such a perfect response. I mean, essentially, Jesus is saying, if you love God with everything you've got and you love others well, that should cover all your bases. Every rule, every law, every teaching stems out of that great love. Friends, Jesus is telling us that love is both the first and second most important thing we should do. And notice, this is not a suggestion. Jesus does not phrase this vaguely or indirectly. This is a commandment. Loving one another is not optional for Christians. We are commanded to do this. If we proclaim to be followers of Christ, love should be the main thing that we are about, always. Now, as I said, Jesus reminds us of this heck of times, okay? Here's another one from the book of John. Jesus explains, a new command, here's that word, I give to you. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know you are my disciples if you love one another. Our love, the way we treat others, is literally what Jesus Christ says should be our defining characteristic as Christ followers. It is such an important point that Jesus says it three times in as many sentences. Four, depending on the translation. Jesus does not say... It is by how loud you yell and how high you hold your turn or burn sign that people will know you are my disciples. He does not say it is by how staunchly you defend your point of view against all opposition. It is not by our political affiliation, not by a legalistic adherence to a list of do's and don'ts, not by attempting to legislate morality, not by posting a quote from a Christian author or a Bible verse on your social media. According to Jesus Christ, it is by our love that the world should be able to identify us as followers of Christ. Now, as you can tell, I'm a little passionate about this. (laughs) Um, And it's because this one hurts me so much. And it has caused so much damage in the world. Friends, more often than not, it seems like we as Christians are being identified more and more by what we are against or what we say that God is against or hates than what we love or how we love or who we love. And that breaks my heart. And if I'm reading the Bible right, I think it breaks God's heart too. I think that so often the reason we're not being recognized by our love in the world, and I speak for myself in this as well, is because we're not loving right. And we're not loving enough. What if we did as Jesus instructed us? And we were known more for our love and less for what we believed is wrong. What do you think that would look like? Like, how would that transform our relationships? How would that change our communities? 
how would that affect the way that others view Christianity? Now, I feel like it's important to point out here. I believe that the Christian church is one of the most powerful forces of good in the world. The church, capital C, has done more to address the issues of starvation, poverty, homelessness, disease, famine, disaster relief, marriage building, grief care, family development, slavery, human trafficking, and the, trafficking, and the list goes on and on, more than any other organization in the world. And many of these things are being done with incredible love and humility, but so much so that the voices of hate and anger are louder and the love gets drowned out. So it is not to say that we've completely screwed things up. That is not the case. But it is critical to remember this fact. Without love, our acts are empty and our faith is a lie. We can do all the good in the world, but if we get the love part wrong, we've blown it. 1 Corinthians 13, it's commonly referred to as the love chapter in the Bible as it talks exclusively about love, what it is, what it isn't, and how we should live it out. Uh, if you've been to a Christian wedding, I guarantee you the minister has read uh, a piece of this book before, and we're going to get to that in a second. I think it's important we start at the beginning of this book because it has some important things to say. So let's check this out. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13, starting at verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels... But have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries of all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but I do not have love, say this with me, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, say it with me again, I gain nothing. I can be the smartest, most well-spoken, most devout, generous, and sacrificial guy on the planet. But if I do not have love in my heart, it means nothing. It doesn't matter. Without love, it's just noise. I love this quote from Osho, who was a great leader of the Rajneesh movement in India in the late 1970s. And he said this, without love, a man is just a body, an empty temple without the deity. With love, the deity arrives. The temple is no more empty. I love the picture that paints. So why should we show love? To put it simply, without love, our faith is a lie and our actions are empty and meaningless. So the answer to your next question, uh, somewhat obvious, and I already touched on it briefly, but let's address it directly so as to avoid any possible confusion, shall we? Uh, who should I show love to? Anyone care to guess? Everyone. One another equals everyone. Back in Matthew 22, love your neighbor. Who is your neighbor? Everyone. <laughs> okay, yeah, but like everyone, everyone, or just like mostly everyone? <laughs> everyone. Did I stutter, says Jesus. Everyone, everyone. Even those, especially those that are really hard to love. 
Now, in Luke 6, Jesus lays it out like no holds barred. Uh, it is a longer chunk of scripture, so we had to abbreviate it in your outline, but it's in full up on the screen. If you would, let's read this together. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other. If someone cuts you off on 880, pray for them. It doesn't say that, but it should. Um, if someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. I'm gonna ask you to underline that sentence. It's important and we're gonna come back to it in just a second. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. But love your enemies. Do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. See, Jesus is telling us that we have to love in a different way from the rest of the world. If we're going to do life Jesus' way, then we have to love people the way Jesus did while he was on earth. Anyone can love their friends. Anyone can love the people who treat them nicely. There is no great honor or distinction in that. But Jesus loved the people who were hard to love. He loved the sick. He loved the broken. He loved the ones that cursed him and beat him and eventually took him to a cross and killed him. That is a revolutionary love. That's a countercultural love. That's a love that cannot be bought. It's a love that sets us apart from the rest of the world as a follower of Christ. Okay, so now we know why to love, we know who to love. On to your last question, and I think it's an important one. So we're going to spend the rest of our time together today talking about the answer to this. How do I love? Like practically, in the real world, everyday scenario, how do I show love to somebody? Well, the shortest answer is one we've already seen. You remember that sentence I told you to underline just a second ago? It's Luke 6.31, and let's go back and look at that. Do to others as you would have them do to you. It is more commonly referred to as the golden rule. Most of us have heard it. Uh, I would say that this verse might even be more famous than John 3.16. In fact, if you go to the most irreligious person you know and ask them to tell you the golden rule, they'll say this exactly without really even knowing they're quoting scripture. Um, and this is one of the most commonly held standards for how we are to treat one another. Treat others as you would like to be treated. It, it seems pretty straightforward, right? But I think the Apostle Paul figured out pretty early on that people weren't really getting it. You know, we have a tendency to kind of screw things up as we go. <laughs> uh, and that it needed to be spelled out with a little bit more detail. And I'm glad he did this because I needed it. So he gives us a biblical definition of love as we continue on in that love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13. Let's pick it up. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. 
It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable, and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. Love never fails. So how do we want to be treated? We want to be treated with love, that kind of love. But what does that look like in our lives? How do we determine when to do what and for whom? I want to encourage you to start by asking this question. And it's been an incredibly helpful guide for me I was asked, as it was asked to me by my friend and mentor, Jim Matthews. And he says this, what does love require of me in this situation? What does love require of me in this situation? See, friends, love is contextual. Love looks different in different situations. Sometimes love looks like a hug. Sometimes love looks like leaving someone alone. Sometimes it means speaking words of love. Other times it means staying silent. Sometimes it means saying yes. Other times it means saying no. When you're not sure what to do, ask yourself this question. What does love require? And if you're not clear on the answer, ask others in your life. Talk it over with a friend or your small group or your spouse, someone who has some insight into the situation. You can also ask the person that you want to show love to and say, I want to love you in this moment. What would that look like for you? And uh, just being honest, you know, sometimes a hurting person may not know how to respond to that, um, or they may give you an answer that's not altogether that great. But if you've got nowhere else to go, it's not a bad place to start. Uh, you can also think through any biblical principles that may apply and just use your best judgment. But if you start by asking this question, what does love require? My, my bet is that you're going to do pretty well. So let's give ourselves a few simple, practical tips that we can start putting into practice, like today, as how we can do a better job of loving others. Does that sound helpful? Yes, great, okay. Um, so as we leave and we go out into the world, we can start putting this stuff in practice immediately. In fact, you can start doing it like right now with the people sitting around you, okay? Now this first one is really simple, but believe me, it goes a long way, and that is smile. Just smile more. It costs you nothing, and more often than not, you'll get it back, right? The other person will smile back. Everyone you meet is carrying a burden. Everyone's fighting their own fight, and we do not need to know anything about what they're dealing with to smile at them and to encourage them by just offering that smile. I want to challenge you to try going through your day and smiling at every person you make eye contact with. I promise you, you will be happier than, you will end your day happier than you started it. And so will everyone who saw you. Now, there's no need to be disingenuous. You don't need to like go get two wire coat hangers and stretch your mouth across your face from ear to ear. But a simple, sweet smile can go a long, long way. Um, and just make that happen for the people that you come in contact with each day. Secondly, again, seems like a basic thing, but we all know that not everyone does this. Mind your manners. Say please 
Say thank you. Be courteous and polite. Treat people with respect. People will respond pleasantly when they, are, when they are addressed in a kind and gracious manner. Even simply recognizing people, like just acknowledging someone's existence can go a long, long way. Um, I want to share this quick story with you. Uh, several years ago, a friend of mine was taking his wife to dinner at a very nice restaurant in San Francisco. Uh, and he's a smoker, so he was standing outside having a cigarette, and he's watching people come in and out of the restaurant. And there's a person who is coming up to the door and sees people behind him and comes and goes to open the door, holds the door open, and the person just walks right by without saying a word. And behind that person, there was a larger group of people. And so the guy who's holding the door continues to stand there and greet people as they walk through the door. And this big line of people just keep coming, and no one acknowledges this guy. And my friend is looking at a distance and starts to go, that guy looks really familiar. And he walks up and he goes, oh, Mr. Williams, it's a pleasure to meet you. Robin Williams, the actor, was holding the door open for people at this restaurant and no one even looked to see who was holding the door. The opportunity that they missed out on simply to say hello to someone they probably really liked and respected, and they totally blew it because they refused to even acknowledge the existence of another person. How hard is it to turn and look to somebody? If they had just done number one and smiled, it might have changed their whole day. And they would have had a story for the rest of their life. Guess who held the door open for me when I went to dinner last night? <sighs> so let's put this one into practice, okay? Uh, the third thing we can do to show love to others is to offer positive and encouraging words. Offer positive and encouraging words. Words of encouragement and love need to be spoken because they can have tremendous impact for the other person. I can't even count the number of stories I've heard of people's lives who have been changed because one person took the time to say something positive and encouraging and loving to them. Lives change as a result of positive and encouraging words. My rule is this. If I am thinking something positive, encouraging, or loving, I'm gonna say it every time. I mean, why would I keep that to myself? If I'm thinking something positive, say it. Now, there's a flip side to this. Don't criticize. Just don't. Got complaints? Keep them to yourself. We all remember what Thumper's parents told him in the movie Bambi, right? If you can't say something nice, say this with me, don't say nothing at all. Okay, this applies both face-to-face and on social media. Just because you don't see the person doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. Say good things or say no things. Now, we're getting progressively more challenging as we go, uh, and this one definitely ups the ante a little bit. We need to stick by people through troubled times. This one is not always easy to do. When life gets tough, oftentimes people get angry or depressed or sad or frustrated. They change. They're not always fun to be around. They might even direct some of their anger or hurt or whatever it is they're feeling at you. But guess what? Love 
has sticking power, or at least it's supposed to. Those difficult times are when those people need us most. We cannot abandon people when it is no longer convenient or enjoyable to be with them. You don't want to go through life's trials alone, so don't walk away from others when it gets difficult to be with them, or maybe they don't take your advice. And if the situation they're in happens to be the result of them not listening to you in the past, please, on behalf of that other person, do not say any version of the words, I told you so. In that moment, what's more important, being right or showing love? The relationship is always more important. So uh, just yesterday, a team of volunteers from Crossroads is living this one out really, really, really well. About 30 people from Crossroads went up to Santa Rosa to help build and deliver sheds to the families uh, who lost their homes in the North Bay fires last year. These sheds are going to serve as a safe place where these people who want to rebuild their homes can store tools and supplies so they don't have to keep moving stuff back and forth from wherever it is they're staying. Uh, This is going to help people as they rebuild their homes and their lives. And I am so proud of our church for making good on the commitment that when we said we are going to stick through this with you guys, we know it's going to be a long road. And this is just the beginning of what it's going to look like to help these people rebuild. Um, and so I actually, there's some people who were here, uh, are here this morning that went up yesterday. And can we just give them a round of applause? Over 100 sheds were built, and there were over 800 total volunteers at this thing. Absolutely unbelievable. So amazing. Uh, Also, I don't know if you knew this, but our church has a care ministry that reaches out to people who uh, are in need. They bring meals to people who have had a surgery or had a baby, um, or uh, they help provide rides for people sometimes. The truth is, the list is so long, I have no idea the extent of everything that our care ministry does. Uh, But they generally just do whatever they can to help love people in the church who are in a difficult time or a season of change or stress. Uh, and I'd like to quickly recognize our care team as well, and our uh, care team leader, Robin Hahn, who's uh, sitting with us here today. Can we, yes, give them a round of applause? In fact, if you're on the care team, would you raise your hand, please? If you're on the care team, raise your hand. Robin's here. There's a couple over here. Yes, thank you. Uh, I also want to say that if you are interested in being a part of our care team, if you want to help love our church better, can you just pull out your communication card and write the word care on the back where it says sign me up for, and we'll get that card to Robin and she can contact you this week. Okay, number five, if we're going to stick with people, if we're going to stick through them when times get tough, we are going to have to put the needs of others before our own. We're going to have to fight our ego. We're going to have to resist our inclinations towards selfishness and do everything we can to put others first. In the relational hierarchy of our lives, it should be all about joy. This is not in your outline, but I encourage you to find a spot to write it down. It should be all about joy. Jesus first, others second, yourself third. Third. 
Jesus, others, you, slash me. The Apostle Paul again clears things up for us, this time in Philippians 2, 3. And he reminds us, do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility, count others as more significant than yourselves. Now, there's a big also attached to this, uh, and it, we saw this earlier on, uh, where Jesus told us not to expect others to do this for us. Do not expect others to do this for you. Just preemptively assume that no one else is going to do this. No one's going to reciprocate. And I promise you, this will remove all kinds of anger and frustration and bitterness and resentment before it begins. And then you'll be very pleasantly surprised if someone proves you wrong. The last thing that we can do to show uh, love to others, well, it's not the last thing, but it's the last thing I'm going to suggest, is to get outside your comfort zone. Get outside your comfort zone. Uh, This means getting uncomfortable, just to be clear. This means fighting the urge to stay safe when love is on the other side of the fence. This means self-sacrifice. It means that we will do whatever it takes to love someone else and stay with them even if it costs us something. Getting out of our comfort zone could mean going to build a house with our student ministry in Mexico over spring break. It could mean working with orphans and widows in South Africa. Or it could also mean walking across the street and saying hello to that weird neighbor. And we all have one. And, right, if you don't have one, then it's probably you. <laughs> it's an important point. Thank you. Uh, but I want to challenge you with this thought. Love rarely looks like being comfortable. Love pushes us. It stretches us beyond the limits of what we think we can do, beyond what might seem reasonable, and sometimes even beyond what we would think is possible. In the words of Jesus from one more of those Heka times, uh, John 15, he tells us this, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. My command is this, and here it is again, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for one's friends. To lay down one's life. That's the greatest love. And it is definitely not comfortable. Jesus did it for us. Are we willing to do it for him? To lay down our desires, to put aside our agenda, and to focus more on giving all we have, pouring our whole heart into loving Jesus and following the greatest commandment he ever gave us into love others.
I'm not sure I'm up for it. I'm probably going to screw it up a lot along the way. But if I die doing my best to love God and love others, at least I know I can say I fully lived. Let's look at the last verse of 1 Corinthians 13 as we wrap up today. And now these three remain. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. In the end, there's only one thing that matters. Love. And love is all you need. Let's pray together. God, thank you for loving us. Thank you for showing your great love for us by sending your son, Jesus, to pay the ultimate price for us. Today and every day forward, God, we want to share your love with the world around us. Would you help us to see the people in our lives who need to feel your love through us? Would you give us the strength, the courage, the patience, the heart we need to love you well and to love your people well? God, we ask you this in your name. Amen.